You're listening to Savage Wonder, a podcast about warriors and artists, long-form one-on-one conversations with veterans in the arts. It is produced by the Veterans Repertory Theater, which is a creative hub for talented veterans and world-class performers to create compelling live theater and events and celebrate veterans in the arts. My guest today was Elise McKelvey, um, who I've kind of been watching on Instagram for a while because she is uh, kind of embodies the warrior artist uh, ideal that we like to celebrate in so many ways. Um, she is now a former Marine as of about a year and a half ago. Um, but in the Marine Corps, she was a combat artist. And then she has leveraged that and carried that over into her civilian career. She still works for the uh, Marine Corps Combat Art Program, as she did when she was in uniform. But she does it now as a civilian. And then she, of course, has her own freelance business as well, which we talk about on the show. And it just seems like that's blowing up. Um, and deservedly so. Her work is really outstanding. Um, and we'll get into all the granular details of that in the episode. So I won't give you guys any spoilers about that here, but she, uh, because of that story, because of she completely marries the, the, the warrior artist, uh, ideal literally at the same time, which is always an intriguing, uh, equation whenever I hear about people that have managed to do that. Um, I, I just couldn't wait to talk to her and, and to find out, uh, how that worked and, you know, how her left brain and right brain managed to find the equilibrium for all those years. And, uh, it was great. Uh, she's also going to be at the Savage Wonder Festival, uh, which she and I confirmed really just before the episode. Um, so I was thrilled that, uh, that came together because that just made the episode, uh, resonate that much more knowing that so many people were going to be seeing her work in a live showing in the, uh, relatively near future, not immediate future, but relatively near future on Memorial day weekend this year. Um, obviously go to savagewonder.com to find out those details. Um, but anyway, stick around at the end. I'll have all the details about the Savage Wonder Festival for you then. In the meantime, uh, let me not waste any more time on foreplay. Uh, you guys are going to have a great time listening to Elise. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. I'm the artistic director at Vet Rep, and this is the Savage Wonder of Elise McKelvey. All right, Elise, we're alive. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm so stoked you're here. I reached out to you like, God, you were one of the first people I reached out to, I think, to come on the show because when I, so I was so new to Instagram. <laughs> I hadn't done social media. What is this in, thing? Like, years. I'm, I'm, I'm so Gen X and it was ridiculous. And I was like, um, I think I started following like the hashtag, like veteran artist or something. And I think you were one of the first people that popped up and I was like, Oh, that's what I'm talking about. That's yeah. That's <laughs> that. That's what I need to talk to. So um, I'm super stoked. We finally got this all together. Um, where are you? Are you in your studio right now? I am in my, it is my studio slash bedroom slash kitchen. <laughs> it's got everything. <laughs> um, yeah. It's my little, I have like a, digital studio out in my office but because i work with pastels and things that are so messy i've separated it for now 
So it's in the corner of my room, but that's my easel back there. Almost everything you do is drawing, right? Do you do any other mediums? Do you do a lot of stuff in other mediums? Um, I would say I mix it up quite a bit, but mainly like drawing, pencil, ink and pens, pastels, but I do acrylic painting as well. Um, I've dabbled in oils, but I don't really use those so much because I'm impatient. <laughs> but I also do a lot of digital digital work. Um, a lot of my client work is portraits and animation, storyboarding, stuff like that. So kind of all over the place. Yeah. I mean, how much of your work now is really client-based? How much of your work is, is driven by the requirements of a client? How much is your playtime and your chance? To I would examples? say it's probably 50-50. I just went back to full-time freelance. Um, I did have a little part-time job, but it was just so hard to balance it. I was like, oh, we're just going to go back to freelance. So right now it's about 50-50, but um, I've made it up to a point where I can post things online or go live with my own audience and actually make income from it. So it's pretty nice. Um, Basically I draw whatever I want and then there's the client work, but I've built relationships with them that it's pretty fun. I can pick and choose a little bit. Well, that's like, that's like so enviable. Probably there's a bunch of artists out there listening. They're like throwing things at their computers right now hearing that. Cause that's like a super enviable place to be. And are you still working for uh, the combat art program, for the Marine Combat Art program? Yes. So when I left the Marine Corps in October 2020, the biggest reason I left is because I knew that I'd still be able to be a part of the combat art program. Um, I actually took a job on helping with their social media and all of that. But like I said, it was a little challenging balancing it. So I'd rather be in the program as just an artist. So I am still a part of the program. I have some trips coming up, hopefully within this year as a civilian artist for the program. Very exciting. So I get my fix in. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, so I I guess talk me through, I I know I'm going out of order, which everyone that listens to the show knows. Oh, we could go like a billion different directions. We could talk about clients. It's crazy. Well, oh no, I know. And I'm going to do it all out of order. So everybody's going to like get the the beginning at the end. Um, But and forewarning everyone listening, every time like I start talking, it really is like you could go in so many different directions. So, you know, that's awesome. just how it goes. <laughs> so between the two of us, this is going to be ADD theater. We'll just change yeah. shiny objects <laughs> the whole time. That's great. Um, so how has the transition been for you? I mean, that's a pretty recent transition. How are you? I mean, it doesn't feel any different besides just lack of uniform. How's that going? That's an interesting question because, well, I went into the Marine Corps when I was a little bit older. I think I was 23. I just graduated college. So I had some life experience a little bit already. I wasn't like I went into the Marine Corps at 17, 18 years old, and that's all I knew. And then also when I left the Marine Corps, it was the height of COVID. So everything was already super weird pretty much for that six months leading up. To my uh, departure from the Marine Corps, I don't even think I wore my uniform one time because we were all remote working and it was like a slow transition out. It was really weird. Um, that is really surreal. That was a surreal time. Um, it, it, it was. And well, also lucky for me, uh, I've been doing art on the side pretty much since I graduated college in 2012. So it just went from me having to balance my Marine Corps career and my art career to just going to full-time art. So it wasn't too bad. I already had something set up. 
what's the op tempo like as a combat artist when you were in the Marines? I mean, are you, <clears throat> are, are you PT every day and going to the range every month? I mean, how do you, how, what's, what, what is that a day in the life of a combat artist like? Yeah. So my primary job wasn't combat art. Cause that's actually not a primary job. It's more like, um, think of it like your weekends or your free time is when I would mainly get that side of my art career in. It wasn't something that I did on active duty hours. Um, I was in the combat camera field or now called Comstrat. So it was graphic design, photography, social media, stuff like that. Um, but because that kind of aligns pretty closely with combat art in like that mission, I was able to merge the two a little bit easier, I think, than someone who maybe would go in as, I don't know, a pilot or something like that, where they're so drastically different. Yeah, I can't imagine. Uh, well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, it, do you have to be in the combat camera field to even be eligible for that billet? Nope. In fact, I think I'm probably, I, I know I'm, I was Comstrat, of course, and we had one, our previous director of the art program, I believe he was combat camera back in the day, but no, it's kind of all over the place. And like the program, it has been around since 1942. So pretty long time. We're coming up on our 80th anniversary next year. And the whole idea was that they just wanted Marines sharing Marines stories. Um, they didn't want to bring in people who never served and try to depict what's going on and <laughs> showing the civilian population what it is that Marines do. So that's the whole gist of it. And so they would bring people from all over and doesn't matter what their job was, um, if they had an art background or they were able to like draw through art. Uh, that's kind of, I guess. Yeah. What, what was the, what's the criteria? What's the selection process? Like, do you just submit your work or do they actually look at a resume <laughs> and want to see that you have some degree in something? Yeah. It's, um, you really have to be able to paint and draw people or like anatomy, people moving. Um, you're trying to capture a scene as quickly as you can. We also take photos and we go back to the studio and draw from those sketches and those photos to make final art. But they're really looking for a certain quality of, of work, I so guess, you, to add to the program. So did you have to submit? Did they like sit you down and go, OK, go run four miles, come back and draw something now? How good can you draw? Like, I mean, what, What's that selection process like? It's a lot for me. I learned about the program in college. So 2010. And it was just like 10 minutes on the history of uh, history of combat art. I was like, combat? Did they just say combat art? You mean I can be an artist and be in the military and draw? Like, <laughs> I've never heard of this. Much like you've probably never really heard yeah, of right, it either. Right. It was the weirdest thing. And so I just started researching it. And I came up to all these artists, Mike Fay, Chris Battles, who were doing art in Iraq and Afghanistan around this time. And I was like, how do I, how do I get into this program? I'm, I'm like hooked. I don't even know what this is, but it, something in me is like, I need to be a part of this. And they told me they like, make sure that you want to join the Marine Corps because you want to be a Marine first and an artist second. Right. So top priority is making sure that you're joining for the right reasons because everybody's a rifleman, all that. Um, you're there to, you don't want to be a liability when you're out in the field or sure, on a deployment, sure. stuff like that. So you're, you went into the Marines doing, trying to do one of the hardest things I think anybody can do in the military, which is be job locked, that you have one job that you are determined to get. And now you have to needle your way through the bureaucracy 
to get that slot that you have dreamed of. And in my experience, that is a rough road to go. How was it for you? Yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. And I really, I really did. It took me a year from 2010 till 2011 to decide that, okay, the art program isn't even a primary job. So I'm going to be doing other things that like, I don't necessarily want to do, but I kind of do because somewhere in me, I was like, okay, actually I do want to be a Marine. I just never really realized it. So I went in like excited. I went in and listed, even though I had a college degree, um, because I felt that if I was going to share stories of Marines, I really needed to see it from that like ground level. I didn't want to go in straight as an officer and have this whole side of Marine Corps that I knew nothing about and then try and share their stories. So I, I was excited. And uh, it, I mean, it took 2010 until 2016 I was officially a part of the program so it really was the long game like really like honing my skills and um, perseverance because there were years where there was no program uh, the funding was the the funding was cut so here I was in the Marine Corps <laughs> with this goal of being a part of this art program and we didn't even have it technically for a few years there um, but luckily we got the funding back and um, Charlie Grow, the director uh, the executive director at the time for the combat art program. Also one of the people I cold called when I was in college being like, how do I get here? He invited me on. Uh, so it was like a full circle moment, 10 years later, finally being a part of this. And, you know, looking back 2010, 2011, my, I wasn't that good of an artist, you know, <laughs> compared oh, really? to how I am now. So, you know, I see why I wasn't accepted in right at that moment. I mean, you know, getting better at art takes a long time and it takes a lot of work. So there's no easy path. Sure. And so did you, did you kind of plan that, Hey, at least combat camera and doing the graphic design and all that stuff is ballpark where I need to be. Or did, did the Marine Corps tell you, no, this is where you're going to go. How conscious a choice was that? Um, it was, well, when I finally did join the Marine Corps, of course, I had no idea what that meant until I actually was a Marine and like what exactly my job was. And um, as the years went by, I realized that, OK, I'm actually like a good Marine. And, you know, I'm I picked up staff sergeant within six and a half years. Um, I really physically fit like I run marathons. I, I could do 20 pull ups before females were even supposed to do pull ups. Um, so like all things considered, there was more than just like that art side that, that kept me going. And I mean, one of the biggest reasons I got out of the Marine Corps was because I felt that to be in charge of Marines, I really needed to be 110% in charge of them and lead them and make sure that they're taken care of. And I had this whole passion of art on the side that was distracting me from that. Yeah. So I mean, that yeah. was the biggest decision for me to leave the Marine Corps. Okay. So um, I've got everything you've said, I am going to have to unpack for a while. There's so yeah. many directions we can go with that. So let me start and try to be a halfway decent host and, and actually do the origin story. Who were you in high school? Were you the jock? Were you the artsy kid? Who, who were you? Oh man. Um, you know, growing up, I was super shy, very, very shy. I don't think I spoke more than 10 words 
all the way through high school. But I was also very, very involved. I played, I was a four sport athlete. Um, I was in choir, I was in band, cross country, softball, basketball. I wrestled for one year when I was younger because my brothers wrestled and I wanted to do that yeah, too. Um, sure. So I was very, very, like I did a lot of things, but I was also just super shy. Um, and I didn't really grow up in a military environment. My dad was in the army for a few years. My grandpa was in the military and my uncle was in the army in Vietnam, but like, it wasn't a part of my upbringing. Right. Um, so the Marine Corps and like army, none of that ever crossed my radar until college. And were you, were you um, but, an artist? Were you doing art when you were in high school? Was that always part of it? Yes. And like outside of all of that, I was always drawing. I, everyone always asks me like, when did you start drawing? Like, as soon as I could pick up a pencil, I'm pretty sure I started drawing because my family is very artistic and creative and I was around it at a young age and they encouraged us to keep drawing on like, I think some situations where maybe it's not encouraged as much at a young age. So lucky for me, like I was yeah. around it and I was always drawing. I was definitely the kid like in the corner drawing all the horses. That's pretty much all I drew up until college. That's what I was going to ask. Um, what were you drawing at that age? Was it always something or what, did you ever do abstract abstract work? Never did abstract. I was always in my idea of hyper-realism at that age was what I was doing. And I'm sure we can pop some images up from like that time frame. But yeah, it was a lot of horses. But all that to say is like my junior year of high school, I had this epiphany moment where I was like, okay, I want to be an artist and go to art school and do all these things. But I, I'm so shy. And I was like very cautious of that. So I decided to, and I grew up in the country in Ohio, like we raised llamas, there was cornfields everywhere. And me deciding that the best way for me to break my shyness was to learn how to break dance uh, one summer. So I taught myself how to break dance and I joined my talent, senior talent show with this break dancing act. And that was like, basically like throwing myself into the deep end to uh, break myself out of like being such an introvert. Okay. So hold on. Well, why? Uh, uh, okay. Why did you think you needed to <laughs> overcome the shyness to go to art school? Did you think it was going to be just a hyper social scene and you needed to talk well, more? Or what, what was the thought process for that? I was so shy, but also very independent with like doing all these different activities. And I realized that I didn't want to go to art school down the road from where I grew up. I wanted to go far away. I wanted okay. to go our school in Boston, the Art Institute of Boston, which is 13 hours away. And I'm like, I, I don't, I need to start talking to people on the phone and doing all these uh, things and like applying for loans and all these things that require you to be able to like speak properly. And um, so in my mind, I'm, I'm a very like forward thinker. I call like anxiety a little bit, but you know, I'm always thinking of every scenario I can think of and it's always the worst case scenario and I'm like I need to avoid that <laughs> so where did you learn to break dance where did you go when you're a farm girl going I need to break dance and that seems like a sitcom where, where do you go it really is dance? this was um this was 2007 time frame 2008 so YouTube was just uh, getting started and what I would do is I bought these DVDs from like probably the library or wherever 
that had like how to break dance and I would play them and then I would record myself and put it up on YouTube and all these B-girls and B-boys is what they're called who were actually good at this would critique it and tell me how to get better so I would like practice more in my basement upload another video and that's how I got better and actually this I ended up being on my college dance team as well doing like b-girling for some of the shows that we had so it was a lot of fun <laughs> I kept was with it for almost all the way through college was that the first time you performed live and actually did it in front of an audience when you were was, in college uh, my no that my senior talent show, oh, my senior talent show. Talent okay show. yeah yeah that yeah. was the first time. If you could call it breakdancing, uh, it was <laughs> really bad. But, Do you have video but it was of it? good for me. There, I'm sure there's a video and I can send it to you. And also, no, no, no. all the. It's not for me. I just wondered if you like cringe, like if you watch it now and you're like, oh, it's oh, so God. bad. But I don't really mind. Like, I don't look back at these and, and I'm like, oh, why did I do that? It's more like because I remember why I did it in that moment. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. cool to see the process. All those like cringy videos from when I was teaching myself are all up on my YouTube still. You can go back 10 years and watch That's them. That's hilarious. Um, it's pretty funny. And so, I mean, obviously, you had some sort of talent for it because you were athletic so it wasn't like you didn't know how to move your body anyway like that right. was probably already ingrained right yeah um, it was it was pretty ingrained i was pretty athletic and like my two biggest sports were softball and cross country but i was pretty good at softball but i'm built like a runner um and i ended up running cross country in college as well which is unique in the sense that i went to art school and was able to run college athletics yeah uh, where did you go where'd you end up going to art school i went to the art institute of boston okay. and we were affiliated with a college called leslie university right by harvard and they were a d3 level school um, so they had a cross-country program and i wasn't going to run in college because i was just going to do art school and then the coach calls me and he's like hey i've seen your times um please join my team and um it was mainly his personality that got me to run in college and i looking back i'm so thankful because it was such a great team and uh one of the best coaches i could have ever asked for and so we were i was able to run college cross country and we competed against d2 and d1 uh colleges we were pretty good and um so yeah I, okay so how did that how did that all that affect your art? Cause now you're, I mean, it's not, not saying artists have to be fat, sloppy and out of shape, but I mean, that's a pretty, you're doing things at a high level. You're going to art school. Yeah. So you're trying to, you know, I mean, that's the professional track, but you're also competing as a college athlete. And that's, yeah. that's a pretty split focus, right? Did you find that it complemented each other and that being good in one thing was helping the other or did it detract from it at all? I think it really complemented um, things because, well, art school is crazy in itself. And then during cross country season, my entire weekends, we would travel for these races. And so I would have to get home on Sunday night and make up for it somehow. But I, some people thought it was a little insane. I'm pretty sure I was the first art student to run for that team. And then after wow. I joined, we had a few more after that, um, which was pretty cool because I guess people didn't realize they could do that <laughs> until I did it. So I like to think that I was like a little bit of a trendsetter, which is pretty cool. But um, I really appreciate it. Uh, in 2008, when I went to college, um, my parents got divorced like my freshman year of college. And I remember if it wasn't for having 
a very busy schedule and being super distracted with running and art school like it could have been a lot harder for me but I was able to like immerse myself into all these activities so super thankful for that yeah that makes a ton of sense what did what did drawing and having to complete assignments on on a timeline on a compressed timeline like that because you were running all weekend what did that do for your art did you is it kind of like you know a writer a journalist learning that Hey, I'm on deadline and I don't have a lot of time to write this story. So I'm just yeah. learn how to do things quickly. And your brain just, your, your creative mind starts to work that way. It's going. I look back at it and I realized that a lot of kids in art school weren't really giving a hundred percent effort. And maybe I wasn't either with my actual art, but it seemed like I was because I was so busy. Right. However, I'm pretty sure I spent just as much time as everyone else on my actual art. They were just, instead of running cross country college meets they were out having fun or something like that so you know just me not having as much fun I guess (laughs) but honestly like uh art school was great and I learned a lot but I've learned so much more after art school by being in the Marine Corps and um, one cool thing about the combat art program is they bring in civilian artists who are very very established in the industry and who have maybe deployed as war artists, what they call them, um, documenting Iraq, Afghanistan. You know, they've really solidified their place as somebody that we trust to tell the Marine Corps story. And seeing them draw on location and how they come up with work and uh, really like a one-on-one mentorship is how I believe I've gotten to the level I'm at today. Like it was definitely not art school. Um, wow. I'm thankful for art school and the experiences, but um really being like immersed in that like, real world, I guess, art yeah, experience yeah. is how I've gotten better. Did, did you notice, or do you notice now looking back that you're someone that needed an audience, a commercial audience or a, a public in order to fuel your creativity, knowing that your work was going to be seen by people that were really looking at it, really studying it, really like glommed onto it for information, for emotion and all that, as opposed to doing it just as homework? Did that make a difference? Was that a difference in motivation that affected the quality of your work, do you think? I think it was. Um, you know, when you're in art school or like drawing for yourself, you're very in your own little world, um, much like a fine artist thinks. Like you're doing your work and then somebody comes and buys it, whereas maybe illustrators are taught more that you're drawing for something, or like for a mm. commercial aspect. And I have a degree in illustration. So like that was kind of my thinking already. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, but then when I got into this art program, you know, I went back to traditional mediums where I was only doing digital there for a little while. And then I saw my art mentors doing acrylics and pastels and pencils, and it got me more into a fine art mindset. But with that understanding that this whole purpose to creating art was to documenting history and also like having civilians and Marines connect to your work and be able to tell a story of what's going on in certain situations. So it was pretty cool. And I think the first time that really made an impact for me was I remember I was documenting uh, one of our ospreys in uh, 15th Marine Expeditionary Unit, the Osprey crashed and two of the Marines passed away. And for me, it was like, well, like, okay, this is like real, real stuff. I was able right. to give that uh, drawing and those photos to the family members. And 
it really propelled me into more of a understanding of what we were doing. Were you there when it crashed? I was the Osprey behind it. It's the craziest, like looking back, I was always on that stick that on that specific Osprey. But for some reason this day they switched me. And uh, so lucky me, I guess. Were you taking pictures of it when it happened or were you trying to draw it like literally right there? Uh, what was, what, what exactly was going on when you were in the trailer? It was only, it was only supposed to be a transport from our ship to off the coast of Hawaii for a training operation, like at the very beginning of our deployment, just to kickstart us mm-hmm. uh, into whatever we were going to be doing. Cause this was 2015. So Operation Inherent Resolve wasn't public yet, and nobody really knew exactly what was going on. Um, so it wasn't supposed to be anything crazy. And so I was just in the Osprey. Like, I had my camera, and I have video footage. I have a photo of all the Marines staged on the ramp there on ship. Um, and you can see one of the Marines that passed away, uh, uh, Corporal Dieterman. And um, so it wasn't supposed to be too crazy. There's also a photo I took because we saw the smoke in the sky and we weren't sure what it was because they landed us a little farther away. Um, And I did do a drawing of that and I kind of explained my thought process during it. So there is a few like photos and sketches. Yeah. And at that point you'd been a combat artist for how long? Well, this was 2015 and this was actually when we didn't have the combat art oh, program okay. and at this there. point in my life. Like, so I joined in 2012, the day after college. Um, and then this 2015, at this point, I'm thinking, okay, well, if there's never a program again, I'm okay with that because I really love my career and whether I'm documenting through photos or art or whatever it is, like I'm happy with my decision Uh, But I was still doing what I thought you were supposed to do as a combat artist and sketching as much as I could and trying to improve, regardless of whether they were going to go into this historic art collection or not. Like it was still like my passion, I guess. Got you. Okay. Let me, I'm going to try to stay with your college, with your, your art school for a second. Cause I want to, this is my ignorance. I want to, I want to kind of make sure I'm understanding this a bit more. Do you pick the track in art school or do they kind of guide you a little bit and say, hey, based on what you're sending us, I think this is the way you should go? Or is it a very defined track? Like, nope, I want to be an illustrator. I'm going in the illustration program. And it's a separate line of effort from everything else in the art school. I'd say it depends on the art school um, and how it's set up. But for my art school specifically, it was your first year was foundation regardless of what you wanted your degree to be in, everyone had to do this foundation course. And then after that, after your freshman year is when you're like, okay, I think I want to be more of a fine artist or an illustrator. You you start dabbling a little bit, um, but it's still not set in stone. And I would say by your junior year is when they're like, okay, you need to make a decision uh, of what you want your focus to be in. But those first two years are really experimental. Gotcha. Um, so it's like a major, it's like a major in any college. You got two. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And for me, I was like, I'm going to be a concept artist for movies. Like that's what I, when I went to art school, that's what I thought I was going to do um, for my career. And then obviously learning about the combat art program completely changed things, but Where did that, that was that always from? my goal. Where did that come from? 
I just liked the idea, I think, of working on movies. And, you know, as a concept artist, you're the, the director tells you what they want this certain thing to look at. And it's your job to illustrate what you think that thing should look like. And it's do the storyboard to me. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then ironically, you know, when I left, by the time I left the Marine Corps in 2020, half of my career is storyboarding somehow animation work because I taught myself how to animate in the Marine Corps as a way to tell a specific story um, for our social media platforms. And the only, I was like, I should animate this. So I taught myself, but now I get client work animating, storyboarding, concept art, ironically. It's just wow. pretty, it's, it just goes to show it, you know, as long as you're creating and putting pen to paper right. and getting better, like you can pretty much find a way to, you can figure right. it out. Yeah. You'll get to where you need to get to as long as the yeah. motor's running. That's right. <laughs> what did you, yeah. what didn't you like? What, what art form did they force down your throat? At art school, and you're like, ah, oh, I gotta deal with this now. Yeah, actually, it was all the traditional drawing, like pencils and acrylics, and I just, oh, I really loved digital art. And huh. I don't know if looking back, it's because I knew that as a artist in the industry, digital art was faster and quicker, and there was no supplies cost, and so there's no reason for me to learn these other things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, but we'll now my yeah. favorite things are traditional and I actually really don't like doing digital as much. Yeah, it's quicker, but I like having something that I can physically hold up and show. Um, but I am thankful that I can do both because I think uh, they really balance each other out. Did they make you do a lot of oil too? In art there school? was one course, like you can pick, there were quite a bit of options for my art school and I don't know how it is for other people but you can pick certain things like even though I had an illustration I was going for an illustration degree I did have like some fine art classes and one of them was something to do with oil painting Um, so it was just one class though and when you called the combat arts program how was it what was that phone call like Um, was it actually informative was it helpful I mean clearly it encouraged you to start you know, going in that direction, but what, what, just describe what that was like and what that meant for you. How did that change your, your mindset from what you've been thinking? Well, for me, I probably ended up calling 10 people and I could name all of them, but I won't, um, who, who names came up when I Googled the Mm. program and all of them gave me just a little bit pieces of advice, like make sure you're joining the Marine Corps for the right reasons or, you know, your skill sets aren't there yet. Keep working at it. Um, oh, but wow. overall with like underlines of encouragement, but um, they probably honestly just thought I was some random college kid. Like she's not going to stick with it. Um, and me now knowing how many people have reached out to me wanting to be a part of the program and none of them to this date have really panned out. Like I can see why they thought that. Um, it really takes a certain, I guess, individual with like a passion for the actual program to uh, stick with it. But um, yeah, I mean, it was it was encouraging. Um, it obviously, whatever they said, didn't really affect me joining or not because I ended up right. joining. Um, well, I'm how did it feel? Stubborn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was gonna say, well, first, first off, the breakdancing paid off, right? You're making all these phone calls <laughs> yeah. and 
that yeah. seemed to work out pretty well. Um, what did, what did the feedback mean for you? Were you like, Hey motherfucker, I'm in, I'm in art school. I, I don't need your critique of my art. Or were you like, Oh crap. You really saw a gaping hole in my, in my, uh, skill set or what, what, how did you feel about that? A little bit of me was like, I'm the best artist ever. Cause you know, right. all of us in that moment think our work is so great. Um, but also humble enough to know that like I had a long road ahead of me. And at this point I was just starting to look at artists in the industry and be inspired for them, inspired by them mm-hmm. more than looking at them and being discouraged or like, Oh man, I'm never going to get to that point. Like I was like, Oh, wow, these people are awesome. And I someday want to be like that. Um, and that's a, a mindset shift that is key to being like a successful artist anyways, is being less discouraged and more inspired by the people around you. Um, so yeah, I mean, who it was, was good. It, who was it that was inspiring you? Who, do, who did you start to I would focus s- on? I would say my biggest inspiration was an art is an artist called Victor Juhas. That's his name. And um, he does at that time, he did a lot of courtroom sketch art and oh. Uh, political work and stuff like that but also he was a part of the program in fact when I was in boot camp I I got hurt in boot camp and I was ended up being there for six months instead of three months and I injured my my hand ironically (laughs) the very important part one thing they need yeah right right yeah so I severed all the tendons and they had to do reconstructive surgery and while I was in the medical platoon Victor sent me a drawing and signed it and said, get well soon. And it was a, it's a painting of, I don't remember what branch I want to say army, but it's like a medical, like somebody getting fixed up. And uh, there's a picture of me in boot camp holding this up. And I remember getting it in the drill instructor being like, you know, typical like drill instructor, but at the end of the day, they ended up tapping it up on the wall as so I didn't even, I, at this point I'd never met Victor and he went out of his way to send me this drawing um, encouragement. And but yeah. all the artists are like that. It's such a small group and very encouraging. And Victor is one of my biggest mentors. And I'm so lucky that I've gotten to see how he works. And, you know, because he's such a successful artist and it's just so cool. Well, I was going to say, I mean, so that's, were you just in touch with him? I and mean, it's pretty rare that the people that you like reached out to years before are now like, Oh, she's a boot camp. Oh, she got injured. Right? Oh, let me send her this. Like, what had you just been in constant comms with them the whole time, or what was the relationship? I, Victor, I'd actually never spoken to at this point. Um, but one artist that I did speak with semi frequently is an artist named Mike Fay, and you would know him primarily for his Iraq combat art. I would, I would say, if you look up Lincoln combat art in Iraq, his work would be the most that would come up. And he was one of the very first people I called when I was interested in the program. And I believe how it happened was my mom had posted on Facebook that I got hurt and Mike was mutual friends and saw it and um, was talking to all the other artists. And I, Victor just sent me that drawing. And then later on, I obviously met Victor and was able to talk to him and all that. But, but so they were kind of tracking you a little bit, even just socially, but they knew like, hey, this is the girl that's been bugging us yeah. about joining the program, and now we're seeing her inch her way closer and closer to us. So there's a little bit of like the tractor, the tractor beam kind of bringing you in a little, right? 
a little bit. I think at this point it had been two years since I originally called all these people and they saw that I was still persistent about it because I was always talking with people or leaving comments online, um, you know, deep, deep into the history of the combat art program and knowing all these things. And I think uh, that just showed probably a little bit that I was taking this very seriously, seriously enough to join the Marine Corps. Yeah. Um, so. so talk a little bit about, let's talk about the the warrior part of, of yourself. What were you, what was the boot camp experience like? I mean, besides severing the tendons in your hand, how are you liking it? Was it treating you well? Was it, were you like, Hey, I'm home here. Or you're like, oh, I'm stretching. These are muscles I haven't used before. And, you know, this is all a big adventure. <laughs> yeah. Well, so for me, I, w- I was very excited. And this goes back also to a little bit of me thinking of the worst case scenarios and everything. And when I left for root camp, I had memorized all my general orders, all like the articles, like all these things that wow. they say, like, you're going to need to know these at some point in boot yeah, camp. Yeah, yeah. I memorized all of them before I left. <laughs> Such very, a nerd. Like, wow. Oh my God. I know. Yeah. I, I would do like, <laughs> um, like runs through the streets of Boston with like a pack, backpack with weight in it. Like I was very serious. Like I wanted to be the best I could be. Um, and then I get to boot camp and, you know, it was fitting for me. I really enjoyed it. I mean, as much as you can enjoy boot camp, um, but I was out of the gate, the fittest female. I had the highest uh, PFP score. Um, I was really good at my knowledge. Like, I guess I was like meant to join and uh, it all just sort of clicked. Um, Then I have this art side of me. So it's like kind of strange, but I ended up being an art recruit at some point when I got hurt. Um, all the drill instructors would send me their hat plaques. I don't know why they call them hat plaques because we call them covers, but these were called hat plaques and you stick your cover in it. And every platoon that the drill instructors oversee paints them this hat plaque. And so all the drill instructors would send me their bad ones. (laughs) I shouldn't say this, but I would like fix them up for them. so that was pretty fun and that was your rehab that was while you were rehabbing yeah that was while I was in rehab so I'm ambidextrous so I can I hurt my right hand but I'm able to do a little bit with my left hand so I I can flop between both of them Um, because I had this big like cast on it was pretty crazy but that actually seems um, like a really good qualification to have as a combat artist that's like, yeah, ah, yeah, just in case I get shot in my left hand and I still draw my right yeah I'm like that's what I told them too in boot camp, um, like when I went to boot camp, I learned how to shoot the rifle with iron sights and I was shooting right-handed. And when I picked up with my platoon, once I recovered, I switched to my left hand. And then we were at that point shooting with the, what we now know as the RCO, like the little thing on top. Yeah. Um, so I was like flipping between both of them. Um, but like getting injured was so humbling for me because I was on top of the world uh, so fit and like crushing it. And I was going to be like the best at everything. And then, you know, I got humbled when I got injured and just, you never know what's going to happen. And then when I picked up, um, I had to fight, uh, to like fit into this platoon ended up getting iron woman, which is the fittest like female. And I got to like march out in front of everyone on graduation and get this little award. (laughs) So it was pretty cool. Couldn't break dance. You couldn't break dance. I wish I could have. (laughs) What, uh, talk about the MOS selection process. Um, I, I'm not, 
I always forget what the Marines do. do you, is that assigned to you before you go to boot camp? Do you pick that up after boot camp? I just have, I just remember Full Metal Jacket when they like tell you what MOS you get. So I always think that's how it <laughs> that's is for Marines. Job. Yeah. So that's so I'm the like, public affairs guys, which is yeah. similar to combat camera. In fact, it's all merged now. But oh, really? Um, you get okay. your general like and you get your general MOS field. So for us, combat camera. Um, and then when you go to MS, MOS school, they give you your actual designator of like photographer, right? Uh, graphic design or videographer at that time. But when do you um, pick the MOS or is it picked for you? When, when does all that happen? I, they, it's before boot camp. Okay. So originally you get the designator of that general field. And then there's what's supposed to happen is you get to actually know what your actual job is before boot camp, but by the time you get to MOS school, it shifts around and things change, but you're in the same designator. Like for okay. me, I went actually as photographer and I was told they were like, hey, graduate boot camp, and then we'll find a way to switch your MOS to graphic design. Um, gotcha. And so when I got to uh, MOS school, I showed them my portfolio and they switched me. But, Did you, because you were crushing it, at boot camp, was there any point that you were like, you know, I could I could try to go for a combat artist at some point down the road in any MOS. Maybe I should do something else. Maybe let me go MP and just you know try to throttle some people or something. Was there any a sense like let me let me really go full bore with you know Butch Marine stuff? Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, I can see like actually. I almost left for boot camp as something like, I don't remember. It was something so far out, not graphic design at all. Cause I just wanted to be in the Marine Corps at this point. Like I was tired oh. of waiting, even though it'd been like two years, I didn't care. I was like, well, I know I'm not going to be a part of the program right when I joined. So I might as well just get, get yeah. into the Marine Corps. And, um, but it all worked out. My recruiters pulled some strings and, uh, which was pretty great. But, um, I, Actually, like combat camera in itself is such a cool job field. And like when we ended up, when I did do my first deployment, I went as like a photographer primarily. And then I also was able to do the graphic design, all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. But like I was attached to an infantry unit for a year on that deployment. I got to be really immersed with them. And it was just me and 200 <laughs> infantry guys, three, one. and uh, I, I actually like looking back, I think my job field is probably the closest I ever could have gotten to like doing like really cool stuff more gotcha. so than an MP or I got to see all sides in the Marine Corps. And so one day you're attached to infantry, the next day you're on the air wing with the Osprey pilots, the next day you're with the MPs. Like it was so cool. And for me, as like an artist, it gave me a lot of uh, content and ability to really like see all sides in the Marine Corps that I never could have gotten uh, as something, just one specific job. How ADD does it make you as an artist if you're like on the flight line trying to do stuff or you're with the infantry guys and then it's like, oh, wait, shit, I got to do this or, hey, <laughs> sergeant or staff sergeant, go, I need you to do that or jock up for a second. And it's like, dude, I'm in the middle of, uh, okay, let me put this down. All right, fine. Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 what's, what's that like? What's that dynamic uh, like? Well, like when I attach these units, I'm very 
like conscience of the fact that like one, I don't want to be a liability to their training or real world operations. And I want them to know that I'm actually there to support them first and then everything else comes second. So uh, the first day is really spent helping out and doing as much as you can to immerse yourself with all these people that you just met. Um, So there's definitely like a little bit of time that it takes to build those relationships. Like going back to the infantry unit I was with, um, it took me, I'd say probably like three months of workup training for them to really like get to know me. Um, A lot of it was probably me as well. Like just being like, I don't want to mess anything up and be that Marine, you know, like I was was like, I just want to like play it easy. And so you just help out by moving water or whatever, like, tasks they're doing like you're in it with them you're not pulling out your camera or your sketchbook like you're really just trying to get them to like you and like respect you I guess and um you know taking photos of them I don't know if it was because there was a barrier between me and them like capturing Mm -hmm. photography uh but like it wasn't until I took out my sketchbook where they all were well what are you doing like are you drawing that's so cool. And then instantly I was a part of the crew and, um, but they're all like really great guys and respect them highly. Um, like when our Osprey crashed, we all got put into this squad bay and on Hawaii, it was me in the corner (laughs) and all these guys like in one big room. And they asked me, they were like, you know, we can find a way to get you to stay someplace else if you want. I was like, no, like I'm here with everyone. Like I'm not going to be that Marine. And, make a big deal of it and you know just things like that I think that help build those relationships and also the fact that I could outrun all of them probably so <laughs> <laughs> so what what's the um what what are the requirements like from your hire because presumably you have some supervisor back somewhere going hey sergeant let's go drawings and you're like no 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 I'm trying to build rapport with these guys and they're like yeah no we <laughs> Like what? What are the what? What are the requirements? Is it like you need to do a yeah. drawing a month, a week? A, like how does that work? Yeah, and for like that deployment, I I was a lance corporal when I first attached to this unit. And what's so crazy about our job is, you know, you are like a junior marine essentially with the responsibility of upholding that MOS field, and you basically you're resent you're representing an entire job field, yeah. and like that's why you're very okay. Like, I don't want to mess this up because like once you lose that trust, like it's gone, like there's definitely situations where Marines do something dumb and get pulled out of whatever unit they're with and they send someone else. Um, You know, I was responsible enough. I was older than your average Lance Corporal. So I could handle myself in these situations where no one's really looking down at what you're doing. Um, as far as like how many photos you take and stuff like that, it really depends on what it is that you're documenting. So sometimes they're like, okay, by the end of the week, you have to have five photos showing whatever happened on this training off or, or they don't ask anything. And then just by the time you get back to the rear, uh, you data drop all your photos or your artwork, stuff like that. And so it really just depends. Now for the like combat artist program, yeah, I did a few trips in 2019, 2018 solely as a combat artist. Like that was my only mission. And um, they're like, you know, they don't want to give any stipulations on what it is that you draw because they don't want it to be like 
what am I trying to say? Like segregated or like micromanaged and like top down. Yeah. Like they know yeah. you're going to feel it in the moment and see the opportunities. Exactly. Yeah. You really just go and you yeah. capture as much as you can. Now, sometimes they will be like the curators of our art program will be, Hey, there's a gap in tanks. And mm. so can you try and focus on tanks a little bit while you're out there? Um, where there's a gap in something else. And so there's a little bit of that, but f- for the most part, it's whatever, when you get there and you see what's interesting and what would make a good story. Um, and I would say combat cam is pretty similar. What's the train up like for you? So if, if people are on a mobile, on a mobile, do you do pre-mobile with them? Are you, are you there? Uh, I mean, for, before we even get to the combat artist part, just even as combat camera, are you, how do you fit in with that? Um, what gets you, because to not drop the ball, your skills obviously need to be honed up. When do you get time to do that? Um, can you do that with the rest of the people that you're, are your subject matter? Yeah, I would say it's all really like on the job training, essentially. Okay. Like that's how you improve. Um, they try their best to keep us in those workup trainings so that by the time the real thing happens, like everyone knows who you are and your place and like what your purpose is and stuff like that. It, are you, um, what did you have any time in actual combat or going on patrol with people? No. Um, so like my first deployment with the 15th Mew was very much us sitting in the middle of the ocean waiting. It was a lot of Harrier missions, I believe, okay. like a lot of bombing Harrier missions. Um, we did one thing where I got to fly out. Another great thing about my job is anytime anything interesting happens, you're the one going with that unit. Cause it was just me and one other female for this entire like ship. Wow. Uh, so we didn't, we weren't stuck on ship like most people. And this mission came up at, to transport the secret service of Barack Obama while he was giving a speech in Nairobi, Kenya. And I so I got that. to like ride in. <laughs> yeah. It was so weird. Yeah. They took this like rundown Osprey, uh, the presidential unit brought in all these seat coverings and like covered our Osprey to make it look fancy. And then they brought in the secret service. So it was me and like 10 secret service people. And I was no idea like what I was supposed to do. Like, should I take pictures of them? Or, I did. I snapped photos and yeah. And we were just transporting them back and forth, but um, what were you supposed yeah, to that, do? Were you supposed to cover Marines only, or could you cover anybody that is around there? My mission from like the CO was to cover Marines interact, whatever the Marines were doing. Now, when I got out there, I was snapping photos and I ended up getting yelled at because they're like, you can't take photos of this and that. And I was like, well, my orders say I can. Um, and so like, there was like miscommunication of, from people way above my pay grade. So I just did my best. Uh, I think I was a corporal by this time. Yeah, that's uh, politically like, difficult situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you ever have to and yell then, at the president, um, hey, move out of the way. I got to take a picture of the Marine you're saluting. That's the only thing I can yeah, take a picture of. Yeah, the weirdest. It tough. So interesting. And then, uh, but like, yeah, and then fast forward, I, you know, I went to Iraq and uh, Iraq, Baghdad, all those places in 2000. And, um, I think it was 2018, maybe 2019. And by that time, nothing crazy was really happening. Like we did go outside the wire, but it's not like what you think it was, you know, the initial years of 2010, all those. Sure. Um, but you'd but gone I mean, it. it's still important. 
Right. And you'd still gone through react to contact and all that stuff. Like, yeah, by this time. Yeah. By this time, like, you know, I'm a staff sergeant. I know how these things run. I've done so many training ops and um, I was on the female engagement team. I got trained on the female engagement team. So like if any situation came where they needed a female to talk to certain individuals because the males weren't allowed to, like they would bring you in. Uh, to help in like usually back in the early days, it was called the Linus program. And then it moved to FET team. Um, but you're like immersed with the infantry units and like training on how to be a part of that team. And like, even uh, with the infantry guys, like I would run these drills with them as like part of the mm-hmm. patrol. And so yeah. I knew exactly what to do. I I learned how to shoot the pistol from recon because I was attached to them for a little while. Um, so yeah, just like over the years up until 2019, like just yeah, done a lot of stuff at that point. Yeah. And, and so you're, you're, so those skills were improving. What about artistically? Um, so, you know, I was th- actually thinking of this today on something totally different, but I was thinking about journalists and writers who are overseas and and not military, but embedded. And I was like, you know, it, it's it's like cheating. You get to be in a combat zone, but without that pressure of having to perform in combat. So you can kind of yeah. be the poet and you can sit back and just, you know, have all these amazing thoughts that nobody that's in uniform really can, unless they're really mentally gifted, can has the bandwidth to do. Um, what would, but you're not because you're in uniform and you're in the situation so what's that like for you artistically? Did you ever find it constricting that artistically, hey, I really could do something awesome here, but I can't because unfortunately I got to go, I don't know, on KP duty in, in 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like yeah, something crazy like that. I mean, did you find that? was Is that an issue at all? Um, I think probably in the beginning it was just because like it's so new and they don't teach you this in outside the military on how to draw people that don't necessarily want to be drawn right away and people that aren't going to pose for you all nice. Like, or might order you around. Of, yeah. Or might order yeah. you around, tell you, what are you doing? <laughs> Go do this. Go do that. Like, um, so I guess just over the years, it just gets easier, although it never gets easy. Um, you just get used to it. You know, drawing in a flak jacket or like in – uh, Iraq, for instance, it's 110 degrees and your pencils are melding. Like, how do you draw with all this oversized gear and all this stuff? But like, that's what makes it exciting and, and fun. And, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking like, okay, if something bad does happen, like I'll be okay. Like I have the training and the background to be able to like assist and, and put the sketchbook down if I have to, like, you don't have to be drawing um, sometimes you have to be a Marine <laughs> actually right. do like Marine things. But isn't yeah. that, it, I mean, did you find it a struggle just to kind of keep right, right brain and left brain in sync that you couldn't just kind of do, were you ever, could you ever allow yourself those moments, just lose yourself in the work um, for a moment? Or did you always have to go, Hey, situational awareness, I got to track what's going on here. And you know, how, how did that, how did that yeah. play out for you? I would say it was pretty much always situational awareness. I mean, there was every now and then when you're drawing like really, really training ops. Like I would go to OCS officer candidate school and they would rerun these drills. And so I could sit in one spot and 
capture a moment and like that's like a training environment so it's you don't need to know as much going on or like they ran it so many times that you pretty much knew what was going to happen but you never know so like there's always the back of your mind where you're looking and making sure um things are okay and then also you're always looking for an opportunity or like something interesting so even though i'm drawing over here i'm i'm looking at something else that could potentially make a good uh, art piece for the collection after that what's the percentage of times that your primary artistic tool would be a camera versus immediately just starting to draw and sketch what what percentage of the time would you just go i better just snap a picture because i may not have time to fully flesh out a drawing right now yeah for sure i would say like 50 50 we try okay. as much as we can to draw on location even if it's a quick 10 second drawing, like you're still huh. getting that energy from drawing. Mm, um, then yeah. you can snap a photo if, if photos are even allowed. Cause sometimes I'm in a area where I can't take photos and all I have is my sketchbook. Um, but like you try and sketch as much as you can. And then in the, in the rear, you take, if you could take photos with the sketches and finish them. Um, that's something I learned from my art mentors. Like prior to being a part of the program, I thought everything they did was all on location and I was thinking wow these guys are freaking amazing like all I'm drawing is little stick figures squiggly like I don't even know if this is a person running like I don't know what this is and like they're making these masterpieces and I learned later on that you're allowed to take photos and sketches and like make drawings in your controlled studio afterwards. But like a lot of the Vietnam combat artists, a lot of work mm-hmm. you see from there, they had a, they had an art fob on like out there. That was the biggest years of the art program for sure. There were a lot of artists and some of them did draw all on location. And um, as the camera becomes more portable, it becomes less of that, but still important to, to draw yeah. as much as you can. How many other people did you ever come across? How many other entities or individuals did you ever come across that were drawing, that were doing art out there? Are you guys the only ones doing that? We're the only ones. I mean, every now and then, depending on a unit that I'm attached to, uh, a Marine will come up to me later in secret and be like, hey, corporal, or whatever my rank was at the time. Like, I really like to draw and then they would show me their sketchbook, you know, maybe they're afraid of being judged, but like there are Marines out there who also sure. draw this. Maybe they don't have the background or the, the skill set yet or the confidence to open a sketchbook and be willing to have people look at your process. And it's very scary uh, to be judged like that. But uh, undoubtedly. <laughs> yeah, and actually, um, I don't think I ever nailed that down. What is the selection process to, then get that as a get that combat artist billet what is that like ideally um they want you to submit a portfolio they being like the curators and we have an artist in residence now chris battles who is one of the people i cold called back in the day he's now our artist in residence so all he does is combat art for the collection um he'll look at your portfolio um And you have to really like understand the program and the history of it. Like we don't want artists who are good artists to come in, but not understand the importance of what they're doing. We would rather have somebody like with a solid understanding of the art program more so than a good artist that we can build up later. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, for me, it was just, it came down to being so persistent with everyone over the years, making them know that even though maybe I wasn't a great artist at that time, like I'm very serious about this and I'm not going anywhere. So, and I'm, I'm not wrong when I look at the website, like there's only like four Right now, the, the, the main ones on the website are all the artists who are pretty active currently in the program. Myself, I was I was the enlisted artist, now I'm a civilian. And then we have one officer, uh, Captain C.J. Bauman, who came in around 2016 as well. And then the other artists are two civilians who are established artists. But there have been a few others trickle in and there depending on like the training operation or real world event. Like we have one artist who's a really good painter with aviation. So mm. anytime there's a aviation training operation, he's on our minds as somebody that would be really good to send out there. Um, and all these artists that we get are maybe they also came across the program at some point and they're 40 years professional artist at this yeah. point, a little bit older. And, um, we had one artist, John Decker, who unfortunately passed away about six months ago, who came into the program three years ago at the ripe age of 72. And I remember I was the liaison for the Marine Corps and the program. Like my job was to make sure he got where he needed to go for this training off in 29 Palms, California. And I was thinking like, oh, this guy's not going to make it. Like it's yeah. hot out there. It's like a hundred degrees. Yeah. And he got out there and crushed it. And he was like sleeping with the tanks for three days and a uh, really, really brilliant uh, oil painter who just was, I believe, a reservist in the Marine Corps back in the seventies, but never went to Vietnam. So he never talked about it because uh, he wasn't, he was like, oh, I never went to Vietnam, so I right, don't want to talk right, about right. it. But like he yeah. served, um, so he knew a little bit. Um, but like, yeah, he's so good. And like people like that, they're already good artists. We just need them to understand the program. And Sure. Um, so speaking of the program, why did the Marine Corps make that decision that they needed artists out there? Why not photographers or now, videographers, why is the Marine Corps the only service that does this? And why has it persistently, stubbornly stuck with hand-drawn art no matter what? what, what what's the story there? So every branch had some form of like combat art, um, especially back in when it all came down in 1942. We didn't have photography. So all we had was artists sure. that would get sent to the front lines and as the years go on, obviously photography takes over and art becomes less important. But even today, um, like the Air Force, for instance, their collection was always civilians they would bring in to, to share the Air Force story. Um, the Army and the Coast Guard and all of them pretty similar. But the Marine Corps was always like Marines sharing Marines stories. Like we were very traditional in that sense. And I think that's what attracted me to the Marine Corps art program specifically was because of that idea that we were a little bit different. I mean, you have to be to join the Marine Corps. Yeah, yeah. Um, but even today, every branch has a little bit. Like in the Army, there's one art, one enlisted position for an artist. I don't know if they're called combat artist or just artist in general, but there is one position. Mm. 
within their ranks. Um, so it is still there. It's just the Marine Corps were a little bit uh, more proud, I guess, of the history of our program. We're a lot more tight knit and there's only been 357 of us since the beginning officially. Um, Are you guys listed somewhere? So- is there like a plaque or something with everyone's name engraved on it? Uh, we have a huge art collection right outside Quantico, Virginia, which is where all our art is stored. You can go back and pull out paintings that are just absolutely beautiful. Even we have some from like the Civil War era that were uncovered. Um, I always equate it to the level of the Smithsonian. I, like it's a very prestigious collection, but there is there's a drawer for every artist and you can pull it out and like see all your sketches and stuff like that. It's so cool. Every time I go, I'm like, oh, like, ah, I just want to draw. <laughs> and, but there were paintings. I mean, did I hear that right? That there were actual paintings that people had done. Yes. Huge paintings, sculptures, drawings. Like we pretty much take anything. Um, paintings, heavily on the paintings for sure. And a lot of this work, I would say 75% of it hasn't ever been seen by the public because even um, today, for instance, the Vietnam work, a lot of it's very touchy still because the artists don't have a filter. Like we go out and we draw and paint exactly what's going on. There's no uh, public affairs or uh, recruiting aspect to the work. Whereas combat camera, maybe there is a little bit of making sure that we're shown in a good light, like no hands in your pockets, like none of that. Whereas on the art side, it's uh it's exactly how you want it. So a lot of this work, um, it might have to sit for another 20, 30 years for it to be like a forgotten instance almost. And then we can pull it out and be like, Hey, this is what like was going on. Like things that stories, untold stories, essentially that are just waiting to be shown. So, okay. So let's clarify that. What, what is the desired end state with the pieces of art that are created? Is there a traditional pipeline that they get funneled through? Um, I mean, it doesn't sound like this is automatically going to public affairs for dissemination into stars and stripes or something. I mean, this is what, 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 how does this get routed? Where, where does that art end up going? Yeah. So like for me, I'll use my first time submitting to the program as an example. Um, I took my sketchbook and drawings to our curator And she'll sit down with a group of five or six other individuals, whether they're curators as well or like artists, and they'll pick what pieces they think will be viable for the art collection for historical documentation. Um, And then what pieces they're like, uh, maybe we don't actually need to hold on to this one. So the artist will get it back and you can do whatever you want with it at that point. Um, Oh, personally, like you could do, you could sell it theoretically. Yep, yep. So there's quite a bit of wow. work where um, they didn't necessarily need it, whether I agree or not with that process, because it is a little bit subjective on what sure. the curator thinks uh, they want. Um, you still get it back. Yeah, you can sell it. Um, even artists who we've brought in can um, donate work as well. So maybe they weren't officially under the program and Depending on the situation, if there is a gap in history, for instance, like we didn't have an artist on location during the pullout of Afghanistan. So that's a gap in history. As of right now, 
for our art program where we might have to go back and piece together a historical painting of that moment. Um, so an artist, we could commission an artist to, to fill that, but that's so rare. Uh, I would say 98% of the work is all artists on location from that first person perspective. It is, just so I'm clear, is the, is the combat artist billet or do you get orders to that? Or is that an official, like how, how much, how much weight uh, does that have? So if they're being directed, Hey, you're a combat artist, go over here. Um, what authority is behind that? Like how much weight is applied to that? And what's, what's the actual, um, yeah. Do you have orders to, to the combat artist billet or what, what does that look like? Kind of. So on the officer side, uh, Captain Bauman actually has a secondary MOS designator as combat artist. They're still working on the enlisted side. That probably would have helped a little bit for me in certain situations, but mm. um, for the most part, the museum, the Marine Corps Museum and the art collection will have an official letter that you can take with you that says what your mission is and why you're there, that you essentially can show uh, certain units like, hey, this is like serious but that doesn't always work either because, you know, they'll be like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Who the hell is this? So yeah, often right, right. They're like, get out of here. But, so it is, really... is telling us to do this. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. right. Uh, which is why, like, when we go out, we try and have a, a few day buffer to to earn their trust and to get to know them. And we'll bring out previous sketches and things that we can show that, like, hey, like, this is a real thing because, you know, you could think artist and not actually have ever met a real artist. And so all it takes is these guys showing this beautiful sketch. They'll be like, oh, okay, this is pretty cool. Like, sure, come on, come draw us. It's like kind of janky, but like, no, it is in Vietnam. Like I said, that was the biggest time frame of artists. Um, they had the rank of major, I believe, unofficially, all those artists, so that they were able to get wherever they needed to go without getting flack from people, um, which is pretty that interesting. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, I, and to, to those that are listening that might be civilians or might not understand why we're getting such granular detail about <laughs> that, like anybody that's been in is listening to this and going, how the hell, wait, why, how could you do that? Like, it just working inside a big bureaucracy to do something that's such a singleton job and so off the grid from what the military, you know, mindset embraces that it's like, wow, that that's got it. That's a delicate, a politically delicate job. Like you have to do a lot of, I would think jungle diplomacy, every place you go to kind of socialize and make sure the, you know, officers in charge understand exactly what's going on. Right. Yep. We have Um, one civilian artist who like, he was there during the invasion of Iraq making artwork and he's got all these stories that he can tell to these Marines be like, Hey, like I'm serious. I know what I'm talking about and doing. It just helps like push the uh, understanding and trust otherwise. Cause they're civilians, right? They're not Marines. Yeah, they don't have yeah. a rifle on them. Whereas at least I, when I was active, active duty had like a weapon and the background of being a Marine and stuff. Can you, can you talk about just what that reaction has been when you've shown your art to, well, let's take like the families of the people that died in the Osprey accident. Mm-hmm. What, what has the reaction been? And probably an impossible question, but I'm especially interested in how people react to artwork versus 
photographs and versus seeing an artistic depiction of significant events or even guys that were, I mean, whether or not about the accident, but in general, have any of your subjects ever come back and said, wow, this is me. Oh, that's cool. Like, what's the reaction been being that they see now you were doing artwork and not just snapping a picture? Yeah, this is a good question that I have to unpack. Um, Well, I'll start off by saying, you know, even people listening might think like, oh, combat artist, like that's so dumb. Like what a dumb thing to say. Like I've never even been in combat. Why am I calling myself a combat artist? Um, There's this like stigma about it, which I totally understand. I totally get it. But I've never had any issues my entire career on location with actual face-to-face conversations. And I think it's because from an outside perspective, it seems a little bit odd, but until you actually see it, uh, it, it's like, oh, well, this is like pretty interesting. And like, who doesn't want to be drawn, right? (laughs) One thing that I love about the program is I can draw, for instance, Marines on computers in the COC, which is the Command Operations Center. And these guys, their jobs, it's just grinding away, you know, nothing exciting in their eyes. It's just another day. Then all of a sudden an artist comes in and draws them and it brings like this new life to like the importance of what they're doing. It's important enough for us to document it. Like that's how important your job is. And so it's really like fulfilling for them, I think as well. Um, but yeah, I, don't, I mean. And what did, what did the families, what if the, what if the, what was their reaction when you showed them the art after the Osprey crash? How did that, you know, yeah. I mean, did you, this sounds like a very callous question. So I'm going to, let me make sure I'm saying it right. But did you notice that like, they look at the pictures that you had and then they look at the art and one and their eye kind of stays with one a bit longer or one means more. Was there any sense of that? I would say, um, and like me having the luxury of being both a cameraman and an artist, I've been able to compare that exact question. And it's interesting. I would say most times people like the art more. Um, And I don't know if it's because an artist has to sit down and it takes time to create an art piece Whereas like a photo, you snap it and the photo's there. Not saying that's not important or there's no passion behind sure, photography, sure. but there's a different level of creating a piece of art that you just don't get with photography. And um, I mean, it just goes to show even today with client work, you know, my freelance job, people will send me their photos and they're like, hey, can you turn this into a painting? Like, uh, well, you know, you already have the photo. Why do you want it as right, a painting? Right. Um, so, well, because that's you, right? Cause that's the artist. The artist is the, is the filter. So it's, it's yeah. like they want to have that third party perspective. That's not just capturing, you know, the verisimilitude of something, but it's literally, Hey, what do you think about this? How do you see this? And that's, I yeah. think it's so cool, you know, to be that artist. Yeah. It's really interesting. And like doing all those memorial portraits, because like for the two Marines that passed away on, on our Osprey, uh, four days before that, the day before our deployment, they were doing humanitarian efforts in Nepal and two combat cameramen were on that uh, helicopter that crashed. So we lost two of our own as well as uh, was it 12 Marines and Nepalese altogether? Don't quote me on that, but there was like quite a few, two of them were combat camera and I knew them in the schoolhouse and all that. So I painted their memorial portraits 
thinking like, okay, this is the first people that I've known in the Marine Corps that have passed away to, to paint their portraits. And then obviously four days later, our Osprey crashes and this, wow. you know, and then over the years you, you start to do more and more memorial themed portraits. It's um, a very humbling thing to do. And I just love that I can give these families something that show who their Marine was, whether it's memorial or like a, a sketch of them that I did. Uh, but I love it. Like that's one of my favorite parts not love it, but like no, one no. of those important parts. Fulfilling. Yeah. Satisfying. Yeah, fulfilling. Yeah. What's what's been um the hardest thing that you've ever had to do on the job? What's the hardest thing you've ever had to execute artistically on the job? Oh man. Um in terms of like skills. Whatever, or like whether emotion. whether it's emotion, whether it's skills, what what do you choose? Oh. Whatever. Well, emotionally, definitely any time that I have to like document like somebody that passed away or that's always like emotional. Um, but like in terms of challenging, I would say anytime like it's Marines moving quickly or there's like a lot going on and you're trying okay. to figure out how to take this whole scene and put it onto your sketchbook. Um, that's another difference between photography and art where photos you snap that photo right and then that's it whereas like an artist can take those key moments from a sequence of events possibly and condense it into one visual image that shares the whole story of maybe that was like a two-hour event and they just illustrated it all on one like image what what is the most pressure that you felt on the job feel like I always feel pressure. Really? <laughs> I think yeah, that yeah, probably yeah. comes from like not lack of confidence, but just that artist being your own worst critic in everything that you do. And I've learned even now being with my art mentors who are in my eyes, like the most amazing artists. And they also have those same insecurities um, just goes to show that you never really grow out of it. You just learn how to ignore it. <laughs> Um, but like, and also just opening your sketchbook and drawing with all these people looking at you is hard enough, especially people that are already possibly judging you and why you're there. You not only have to show that you're worthy of being there, but also like, it's just a lot. It's very scary. How do you pick your medium? Do you, do you have any flexibility or do you like rip open your your kit and you've got like, I got my charcoal here, my paintbrush is here and all this. Yeah. Like, my crayons over right. here. <laughs> right. right. Something out of a holster with it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. How does that work? I personally pick mediums that are easy to transport. So most of my drawings are like Prisma colored pencils because they don't smudge like graphite does, but they also don't erase. So you have to work with it, but I like those because they're easy to put in my pocket and pull out. Um, I found that like ink pens dry out if it's really hot outside. Mm. Um, So you really have to work with your environment. I don't really paint on location. Some artists do. We have a few artists that will bring out a whole paint kit. And if if it's a slower day or something, maybe it's a staged Harrier on the flight line and they know that thing's not moving, they'll bring out their paints. Um, And then like as Marines crew chiefs and all of them move around they'll just slowly paint them in type of situation but for me personally i like to just draw 
How long does it take you? How long does an average drawing take you? I've been in a situation where this was, I'll take Baghdad for example. There was one security post and I was able to sit in one spot and they had two rotations of Marines, but Marines assume the same position as each other. So maybe I I think I got like halfway through and then that guy left and the other one came and you're wearing the same gear. No one's going to know. Right. So I finished the drawing. Um, so it's technically two Marines in one. And that was like an hour and a half. Um, but generally speaking, I would say all location sketches go from 30 seconds to, you know, 20 minutes. It just depends on wow. what you're covering. So, um, but um, like final art, like in the studio. Right. Right. Take much longer. I did a, a drawing using gold wire, um, which is a very academic approach from the Renaissance before the invention of graphite, they used metal to create artwork. In fact, a lot of Michelangelo and Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci is metal point, but people think it's graphite. All that's to say is I wanted to add a piece to the collection using this technique. So I created this huge drawing of one of the Marines and I think it was Iraq and it took like 60 hours, but. Wow. Wow. Do you, is, let me think of the best way to ask this. What is left for you? Where are you weak? Where, what are you trying to improve on as an artist? Is it that, is it to be more multimedia, find more ways of telling these stories through different media? You know, a year or two ago, I thought that my focus, what I needed to do was slim down my techniques and Uh. pick one thing to get really good at. But I found that I don't need to do that. Um, It's actually like benefited me to be able to hop between different mediums. And one day I'll do pencils. The next day I'll do pastels. It brings in all different clients. But um, I would say just like overall, just getting better. Um, I want to continue sharing stories outside of the Marine Corps as well. I'm still a part of the art program, but I also want to break more, more free out of that in, I'll do these like adventure paintings. We'll all go like hiking and I'll create a story from that hike in my sketchbooks, very similar to, to the art storytelling. Um, I have a lot of like ideas and ambitions, but also just if I had to get rid of all of it and only use one medium, it would probably be graphite um, or like that really academic approach to drawing that I just absolutely love and have over the last few years just became really passionate about um, if had you asked me this 10 years ago, I'd have been like, I'll never, I didn't draw people in college. All I drew was landscapes and like, nothing wow. like this. Wow. Priorities shift and it's pretty interesting. So I'm sure that answer will change within a year. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, sure. Of course. Um, yeah. I meant to ask you that. I was, I was planning on asking you now, how much of your work, outside of what you do for the program is military focused. Do are clients mostly requesting you because they want a drawing of someone that's in the military or what just, how does the, how does that percentage play out military versus non-military work that you do? Hmm. I would say it's mainly veterans reaching out to me for like, you know, all these photos from even 30 years ago are so old wow. and low quality and they want wow. something to document. So they'll ask me to recreate 
as best as I can these old photographs. Um, that's something I get pretty often. It's mainly like portraits and stuff like that. Mm. Um, but most of my client work is animation work right now, which I did a few things for an organization called Vet TV, and I did some animations oh, yeah. for them where oh. uh, injured uh, military members, in this case, they were both Army were telling their stories of how they got injured and they brought myself and a few other artists in to animate their stories as they talked. Um, that kind of like pivoted me into this animation career. You could call it, I don't wow. call myself an animator, but um, it is a lot of it's like military related or like somehow I had a connection to these people in the military, whether the job is military. Yeah. Um, it's really helped having that connection. Um, do you see the adventure stuff as kind of being the next evolution that that's really where you want the bulk of your free time and of your own freelance work to really be directed? Yes, for sure. Um, people find it interesting online. Um, I would say my platform is about like 250,000 or so people, um, like over in, in all my platforms and, all of them seem to be really excited about like that storytelling aspect, whether it's military or just my day to day, people find it interesting. Um, I want to ask you, um, I know, and first off, thanks. Uh, thanks for talking as long as you are oh, yeah. with us. Cause <laughs> I, I can do this all day and not everybody can. Um, so I appreciate it. <laughs> That's the luxury of freelance. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> like, seriously. Um, I couldn't have done this when you were in uniform. Yeah. It would have gone, <laughs> nope. you know, an hour ago. Um, but personally, are you the same person that you were um, right before you entered the Marine Corps? Or do you notice that you've changed a lot? Has this really been a personal journey as well? Besides just a technical improvement? hundred percent like personal journey. Um, I don't know where I would be today had it not been for the decisions I've made, whether it was, joining my cross country team or joining the Marine Corps. Um, Looking back, I mean, you can never predict how things are going to affect you, but I truly like appreciate all the life lessons I learned in the Marine Corps and, you know, handling pressure sensitive situations and having to think quick. And even to the extent of being in charge of Marines, um, you know, the introvert I am, which I still am an introvert. I've just learned how to not be. (laughs) Um, And, you know, putting myself in front of these like younger individuals and having their lives in my hands, um, essentially. Yeah, it's really like affected me. And I think I wouldn't be as successful as successful of an artist for advocating for myself had it not been for the Marine Corps, for sure. Gave you the confidence or the moxie yes. just to you push yourself forward. Yeah. Yeah. What um, now with the benefit of hindsight, what is, what's, what's the moment that you kind of look back on and go, this is when I became who I am now. Was there that moment? Was there a moment where you're like, yep, that's when I, this moment is when I learned to be who I am now or to drop some old bad habit. Was there any moment like that? I can't think of one in particular. Uh, I think everything it's an accumulation. was just slow. Yeah, it was like an yeah. accumulation of little events where 
maybe in that moment, I didn't think anything of it. But later on, I look, I'm like, okay, because of that, I'm able to do this now. But a lot of it's things that just happen that you don't even realize the importance of them until years later. Um, I'm also like, I've said a few times, a very forward thinking individual and I project where I want to be and it doesn't matter what you say, like I'm going to get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like when I joined the Marine Corps, my family was, you're joining the Marine Corps? Like what? Why? Like, don't do that. <laughs> and, you know, well, they've the, realized the, over the years they can't stop me. They support yeah. me though. <laughs> well, no, that's good. I mean, I, um, it's funny because I talk about this with a lot of guys and I haven't asked this of um, a female I've talked to yet. So I'll ask it of you. Do you need um, the grind? Do you need like the, the push, whether it's, you know, when you were doing cross country or then morphing into the Marine Corps, morphing into the PT, um, you know, kind of leaning into the physicality of it. Um, is that something that you needed? Do you feel like you needed a little bit of the suck in order to, to grow the way you did? I think I did. I, I can't imagine joining like the military, for instance, with not being physically fit or capable outside of my skill sets to prove my worth, I guess. And I don't know if that's like the right way of thinking, but for me, it was like, okay, I know I can always fall back on something like being able to crank out pull-ups or run yeah, really yeah, fast. Yeah. Like even if my job skills aren't there, like at least I have this. Luckily yeah. for me, I, I was able to grow both of them, but um, yeah, I, I, I think you just, anyone who joins the military has to have that mindset to be successful. Like we've had people join the military where you're like, how did they get Right. How did they get in this position? Like there's always those people and, you know, to be a good leader, like a yeah, good yeah, yeah. person. A hundred percent. How much do you think you need insecurities to improve? Because I feel like, I feel like insecurity is, is a great motivator in so many people's lives. And it seems like you might be saying that as well. Yeah. Um, you're, you're saying like your insecurities, like, like you, yeah, it motivates you that you go, okay, I, I yeah. got to get rid of this. I got to shuck this. Like there's, it seems to me like, and I'll just be a little autobiographical, but I, I feel like for me, I wanted the military in some way, not, not from top to bottom, but in some way to, to change me. I was like, there, there needs to be some change. And I wasn't hundred percent mm-hmm. sure what, but I was like, there needs to be a before and after here to some degree. And I think 100%. it's, and I think it was the sense of challenge and all that. Like, yeah, I want to know that from who I am now, I'm not totally cool with that. And I want to be this way. And those, and I was aware that I was insecure, but I didn't know exactly how, but I figured the military would probably sort some of that out for me. Does that resonate with you? Or are you sort of the same way? Oh, I, for sure. The same way. Um, you know, deep down, I'm a very insecure person and I, I can hide behind all these different things that I've built up to be like a really good person or like really unique, I guess, in other people's eyes, but like it all stems from being super insecure and having to fight through those, those battles. Um, You know, even when I joined the Marine Corps, I was always looking for a way to outdo my own self. Mm. Um, So like 
going from running cross country to marathons. Um, and then, okay, well, I run marathons. Now I want to be on the all marine running team and represent the Marine Corps. <laughs> you know, there's always like this next like level of accomplishment that I needed to do. And um, even now today, I'll look back, like if I look back at something or you ask me, what's your favorite piece of art, for instance? And for me, it's like, if I pick something that I did five, four, three years ago, that means I didn't improve enough as an artist. Uh, yeah. um, and like, it really needs to be whatever I'm doing right now in this moment is my favorite piece of work. Otherwise, like, what's the point? But I don't know if that's the right way of thinking. That's just... I, I don't know. I think. I think it is. I think there's a lot to it. I mean, I, I say it as a compliment because I think I think people, I think it's hard to do great things in life if you don't have some insecurities that you're trying to outrun. Mm -hmm. Like, what's the motivation? Yeah. If you're like, yeah, I'm badass and I know it, then cool, man. People are like, water. slow down. <laughs> They're like, come on. Like, you, you've done enough. I'm like, no. Like, it's not enough. Like, you know, for me and like most people, I think you're not doing them for the accolades you get from people you're doing it like to better yourself as a yeah. person so yeah um can we talk about uh the festival yes yes and i'm super excited that you're gonna be there and we're gonna find which i don't know what it's gonna be i want to i want to say a wall but I, I i don't know if that's how it's gonna work out i gotta show you the space but what wall you're gonna be on um or what gallery space there you'll be at the savage wonder festival on May 29th, as everybody should know from our previous episode that you heard me talk a little bit about that, but Elise is going to be there. Do you have any idea what kind of stuff you want to bring? Do you think it's all going to be new? Is it going to be, I uh, hear some stuff from the back of the closet that I haven't been able to shift in the last six years. Let me move that. Like what, what kind of stuff do you think you bring? Well, I would love to um, bring people into the world of combat art a little bit more. And I have drawings that I, I did a little gallery showing on Memorial Day last year and all the veterans that came through would come out super excited about it or like crying because they resonated wow. so much with one of the pieces. Um, and what's unique about it is I'll show the drawing and then maybe have like photos of behind the scenes and like the story behind that drawing all in one oh, visual, awesome. which is really interesting, but also like, you know, just average artwork that not average but unique artwork that I find that people like like portrait work and stuff like that but I think because it's Memorial Day yeah. um, having it some way connecting to that would would be good that's awesome I'm so excited to see that like I told you I mean I, we we're at least I were talking offline but um you know the the artists that we're going to have there it's only going to be I think really three of you and you guys are all wildly different which I think is going to be really cool because um, Elisa's stuff will certainly stand out as incredibly unique. And I think especially fitting for Memorial Day, because that's kind of the idea is to make it. I, I keep telling people we're taking Memorial Day back. And then I'm like, well, who are we taking it back from? Now, what I mean by that is, <laughs> is just, you know, um, you know, Christmas becomes about presents, not Jesus. And Memorial Day comes becomes about the summer and not Memorial Day necessarily. Yeah. And for good reason. <laughs> Yeah. And, and I, I get why, I mean, it's hard to like spend a weekend kind of dragging your head in the dirt and going, you know, thinking about everybody that's passed. So I get that people have limited bandwidth for that. Like a little of that goes a long way on a year in year out basis. That said, 
I think this is a really cool opportunity to celebrate the lives of those that have gone um, as opposed to kind of navel gazing and just ripping ourselves up over their, their loss, but to celebrate that in the best way might be, or at least a, a way might be through art and through all the different media that we're going to bring together there. But I'm so excited that you're going to be there. Cause yeah, I think your work is going to be some of the most spot on remembrances of what Memorial day means. And I, I think that's going to be a real showstopper for people. That's my plug. Awesome. In case, yeah, in case, in case anybody need a motivation. I, uh, I'll give you the hundred bucks later. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'll give you, I'll give you the money later. But no, listen, um, no, this is going to be awesome. Listen, um, you rock. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for taking the time and talk about it, um, about you and how this is all progressed. And I can't wait for the festival. And um, hey, let's talk down the road too. Come back on. Definitely. Let us know, especially as the adventure stuff gets going. I actually am going to talk to you offline about one thing that uh, I don't know. I might put you in touch with somebody if you want to be in touch with somebody, but I won't talk too much more about that on air, but I'll tell you off air because yeah, there, sure, there for could sure. be some cool stuff maybe. All right, Love you it. rock. Let's talk down the road, all right? Yep, sounds good. Bye, everyone. That was the Savage Wonder of Elise McKelvey. You've been listening to Savage Wonder, the podcast for warriors and artists and a production of the Veterans Repertory Theater. So as I talked about with Elise uh, at the end of the show, um, and I'll reiterate it here because I want to give you guys all the information you need about all the lines of effort that are going on at VetRep. Um, you can check out everything we're doing at vetrep.org. That's V-E-T-R-E-P.org, vetrep.org. Um, one of the biggest lines of effort that we're doing is, of course, the Savage Wonder Festival coming up on May 29th. That's the day before Memorial Day. It's a Sunday. Um, and we will be having the festival at the Sugarloaf Performing Arts Center in beautiful Chester, New York. We will have three stages going with poetry, theater, Live music, um, poetry. Yeah, did I say poetry? Poetry, theater, music. What am I forgetting? Dance. My God, dance. Uh, so much cool stuff. I'm not going to give too many spoilers just yet on uh, who's there because I want you guys to check out that website. Uh, we have a dedicated website just for the festival. It's at savagewonder.com. Very easy to remember, savagewonder.com. So check that out. It sh the website should be live by the time you're hearing this episode. If it's not, it's okay. The, uh, all the information that we can officially say will be at vetrep.org under the now playing tab. So either at vetrep.org or savagewonder.com, you'll have all the information you need to know or that we are confident in releasing uh, at the time you're listening to this episode. So check that out. But the festival is going to be very, very cool. And Elise will be there. Uh, along with several other artists. And um, yeah, it's just going to be a smorgasbord of veterans in the arts. And it's, I, I want to draw a couple of distinctions. It's not going to be a, um, you know, kind of a veteran talent show. Uh, you know, I was talking about that with Lilla, with our, our vet rep managing director. And uh, I was like, you know, it's not a veteran talent show. We're not just, oh, yeah, you were in the Navy and you also, you know, sculpt something in your spare time. It's like, no, these are people that are um, professionals or, or at the professional level in their craft. So it's really quality work. Um, I have a I'm saying this out of a little bit of hubris because I curate 
all the acts that are going to be there. So I take a lot of pride in who we've asked to be there. Uh, and I'm very confident that if you go, you will have an unbelievable time and be stimulated um, visually, audibly, uh, you know, in all sorts of ways. That can really be taken the wrong way. So I'm going to end that phrase right there. But anyway, it's going to be an awesome festival. Do not miss it. Go to savagewonder.com. Check out, you can check out the acts, you can check out the dates, you can check out all the events that are going on through the day and the times that they'll be happening and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Check out our sponsors, all the rest of it. So go to savagewonder.com or if savagewonder.com isn't for some reason yet live, go to vetrep.org and go to the now playing tab when you're at vetrep.org. While you're there, you will see all the lines of efforts that we have going on under our now playing tab. You will see the Savage Wonder literary blog. So if you like reading fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, subscribe to the literary blog. The blog doubles as our mailing list. So it's an awesome way to stay on top of whatever we have going on, uh, as well as getting a daily little tidbit of veteran poetry or fiction or creative nonfiction in your inbox delivered to you every day. So you can check that out. You can also listen to this podcast at vetrep.org and under the now playing tab. Uh, you can also find out about our Right Loud events on Instagram Live and when the next one will be. You can even find a way to listen to it through there just by following the links, and it'll take you right to our Instagram Live when those shows go live. And then, of course, you'll see the links to the Savage Wonder Festival and all the information that we can give about it when you uh, at this point in time. So those are all the ways that you can uh, – That's or that's the one way – you can find out about all the different things we have going on. So please go ahead and check that out and stay on top of it. Follow us on, on Instagram. Uh, we're at vet rep theater or on Twitter at vet rep theater or on Facebook at veterans repertory theater. Those are the three ways that are probably best to stay on top of many of our lines of effort and what's going on. I'll be honest with you. The Twitter is probably our least trafficked social media. So uh, I don't post a ton of stuff on there. Uh, you'll get a lot of stuff from the literary blog, but um, if you have to prioritize, I would definitely say follow us on Instagram. That's going to be the best way to stay on top of what we're doing. Um, if you're into following people on social media and if that's the way you like to get your information, otherwise subscribe to the literary blog and you'll be on our mailing list and you'll get all that delivered right into your inbox uh, every day. If you want to submit your work, to Veterans Repertory Theater or to our literary blog, please go to vetrep.org, again, V-E-T-R-E-P.org, vetrep.org, and go to the submissions tab. And when you click on it, you will have a ton of legalese and other valuable information to read that will tell you everything you need to know about how to submit to us, what to submit to us, when to submit to us. And uh, we'd love to see it. If you're a veteran or an immediate family member of a veteran, and remember, that means military, law enforcement, fire, EMS, intelligence services, DOD employees or contractors, or their immediate family members. Uh, we'd love to see your work and see it in competition or on our literary blog if it is good enough. So go to vetrep.org and the submissions tab. Okay, that's a lot of plugs, but hey, it's the end of the episode. If you didn't want to be here, you wouldn't be at this point. So uh, thanks for sticking around this long. I appreciate it. Can't wait to see you guys at the festival. As always, thanks to our producer, Michael Neal. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer on behalf of the Veterans Repertory Theater. See you next time when we'll dive further 
into the savage wonder of it all.